Girlwise is a safe space to learn and discuss all kinds of topics through anecdotes and evidence-based research. I'm your host, Brenna Nicole, and welcome to Girlwise. Hello, hello. You're listening to Girlwise, and today we're going to talk about red flags. These are terms that are used to define signals from a different person that they're unhealthy in their ways of relating to other people. I'm going to talk about these in a romantic sense, but you can apply these to any relationships that you have in your life, be it with family, co-workers, friends, etc. When it comes to these signs, a lot of them can be subjective depending on what you're looking for in a partner. Like, some people don't like pets, and if you do, you might consider that a red flag. That is subjective because it doesn't align with your values rather than it actually being a bad thing. Today, I'm going to talk about the things that, no matter what context they're in, are bad qualities to have, and I'll explain as we go along. Hey everyone, before we begin, I wanted to give a clear and important disclaimer to ensure that listeners understand the limitations of the advice given on this podcast. I am not a professional or expert on the topics being discussed, and you should always use your own judgment when it comes to where you stand on a subject and making decisions. While I do my best to direct you in what I think is the right direction, it is always wise to consult with a qualified professional when seeking advice on a particular issue. References will be in the bio so you can take a look at all the places I'm getting my information from as well. You know your own story and situation better than anyone else, so do what is best for you always. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode. There are an endless amount of red flags that someone can display, but I wanted to list the most important ones that shouldn't even be given the benefit of the doubt. They are a clear sign that someone isn't right for you, and while that doesn't mean they can't change, grow, and learn from their behavior, that is something that they must do themselves. Also, if you recognize some of these within yourself, it's a good starting point to ask yourself where these are stemming from. Talking to a professional is the best course of action, but wherever you choose to get your guidance from, make sure it's credible and reliable. Some of the biggest red flags in relationships can include controlling behavior, lack of communication, dishonesty, disrespect, and lack of trust. It's important to address these issues early on in a relationship to prevent them from becoming more serious problems down the line. I may sometimes refer to the partner as he because I've only ever been in relationships with men, but you can substitute the pronouns however best fit your situation. These can apply to anyone. The first one is that they use all or nothing language. This is one that I think flies under the radar a lot, and it's such a harmful yet powerful manipulation tool. Nothing in life is black or white. When using all or nothing language, they no longer leave room to consider the things that aren't included in their statements. For example, if you mention to your boyfriend that it makes you uncomfortable when he calls his co-worker his work wife, and he responds with, you're always so jealous. Or maybe you forgot a detail of something that they told you a few days ago and they say, you never listen. Terms like this don't get to the root of the problem, and making things seem like all or nothing protects them from doing the work of understanding that people are complex and things cannot be fully one thing over another. It's hyper-focused on one specific side, and there cannot be a solution to absolutes. Never and always mean that there is no room for improvement, and therefore 
Approaching the problems like that means that there is no resolution. People in thriving relationships recognize that we all have a spectrum of fortitudes and flaws. The next one is the projection of their own insecurities. Defensive projection is attributing one's own unacceptable urges to another. It's done to, I guess, seemingly protect the ego when something might be too difficult to confront. Though this is very common and a natural human defense mechanism, it can still be to someone's detriment if not worked through. This is because when an insecure thought is suppressed and pushed into the mental foreground, it then becomes a lens that the person now views the world in. This can destroy not only the relationship one has with themselves, but most certainly ones with others. It doesn't matter how small their projections are, it's still a red flag. When this behavior goes unchecked, it can spiral into a much bigger problem. A healthy relationship constitutes communication of needs, wants, and expectations. Projection is a manipulation technique that instills control in a partner by using guilt and shame. Finding other relationships that you have threatening to them is an example of this. It might stem from them not trusting themselves to be faithful and instead of admitting that they have self-control issues, they result to thinking that you will do the same to them. If they are insecure about not having close friendships, rather than go out of their way to ask themselves why or try to make new friends, they might resent that you go out with their group often because how dare you have this and not them. This might lead to controlling issues because if they can't self-regulate and control their thoughts and emotions, then they might try to resort to trying to control the outside world. Someone who loves and respects you should never try to control any aspect of your life. Granted, we're talking about adults here. It's a different dynamic between parents and kids, which I will get into one day. In giving in to this control will perpetuate the cycle and make things worse because it's working for them. If they see that these projections can get them what they want without working on themselves, then why even bother? But this method seems to be working just fine. None of it is acceptable because it's harmful to your health. Eventually, you can even internalize these insecurities yourself. Maybe I can't be trusted with my male colleagues. Maybe I do spend too much time with my group of friends. Or maybe my body isn't good enough. None of these things are true if they don't align with your actions, but they become true in your thoughts. It becomes noxious and may even spread to your other relationships as it has spread to you. It can be detrimental to keep these people in your life, especially if they're not doing anything to work through it. These problems can create resentment, fights, and all sorts of conflicts. Remember that it is not your job to do someone else's emotional work for them. They need to put in the work themselves to become better versions as we all do. This is not something that you have to fix. Setting boundaries is the best way to deal with projection because hopefully it may prompt them to take responsibility. Our next red flag is not wanting to grow as a person slash not being able to recognize their own faults. Okay, a little bit of a story time here. I used to have a despicable boyfriend that every time I brought up something I had concerns about, he would say, you keep trying to change me. Why can't you just love me as I am? First off, there are many things wrong with that response from the lack of responsibility, the gaslighting, and the plain disregard towards me. 
but also knowing that that time specifically when I got that response, I was talking about him eating like a toddler. I'm not kidding when I say that he would hold the fork like a toddler. You know, instead of like holding it between his thumb and his index, he would hold it with a fist. And every time he would have a meal, he would make this huge mess all across the table. It was just a bad look, extremely unattractive, and made him seem like he wasn't educated enough to eat like an adult. And I didn't bring this up in a derogatory way towards him. If it was a genuine problem, I would never want to judge, be rude, or make fun of him for it. But it wasn't. He just unfortunately had false masculine ideals that made him think that, for whatever reason, he was justified for being messy because he was a man. But I know that if I were to have done the same, he probably would have judged me for it and maybe even given me passive-aggressive comments because girls are supposed to be neat. Why are you eating like that? He was that type of person. What matters here is that there is no accountability for who they are. The person that I'm describing in this scenario had no intention of ever correcting his behavior because he did not care. And that was a bad look on him. If he doesn't care about things that affect him, how will he respond when things are affecting our relationship? Or me? Being self-aware is pivotal in order to know how you are impacting yourself, your wants and needs, and the other person. Self-awareness is the basis of self-regulation. It is one of the basic principles of emotional intelligence. And if they lack that skill, then they will try to force it upon you to deal with their emotions and behaviors for them, as in the case of this messy eating. To change and grow is an act of self-kindness and love. If they refuse it, it is a sign of lack of self-love. And love for another person cannot be present if they don't have it for themselves. Number four is chaotic and unpredictable behavior. They're super nice and charming one day, but then the next, they completely ghost you. When you try to bring it up, they might bring up an excuse or say you're overreacting. One day, they might be eager to give their all to the relationship, and then a few days later, their attitude has completely changed and is now almost resentful. This is one of the most dangerous red flags. Someone who has no interest in providing any type of safety, security, or stability does not deserve to be in your life. Chaos is a form of manipulation and control. It causes confusion, and confusion causes desperation. Desperation can lead to the defying of values and morals, which is the complete opposite of what a healthy relationship should propagate. They might have you thinking things like, I don't know what's going on. I just want things to be like they used to be. What do I have to do to get that back? This shows a lack of care for your time, your attention, your feelings, and your overall mental well-being. Chaos is incompatible with respect. And as I've mentioned many times before, respect is love. The next red flag I have is the people who surround them are not good people. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I have seen from experience time and time again that if the group of friends or even close family aren't good people, chances are 
they're probably not either. Why? Because we gravitate towards people who share our same values and opinions. It is important to self-evaluate and try to discern if you might be misjudging them or if the problem lies within your insecurities. But if it is for good reason, then it is time to acknowledge it is a problem. The reasons why they are bad has to do with what morals and values you have and want to upkeep. Some examples could be if the friends speak poorly of women, are chronically unfaithful, participate in substance abuse, or maybe even commit crimes, then these are things that no matter how much they say they are dissociated from, they still relate to. People look for social circles that reflect their beliefs as a person. And so the number one piece of evidence of this is when they try to excuse their friends or family's bad behavior. This is when the truth comes out, really. They already have justifications for why these actions are okay when they're not. And they might have a lack of concern that their conduct is inappropriate or harmful. These are things that they agree with, so what would be the problem? It's all a reflection of who they are as a person. But it is your call to make. It depends on what type of person you want to be and what kind of people you want to surround yourself with. Number six is disapproving friends and family. When we like someone, we can sometimes see things through rose-colored glasses and give the benefit of the doubt when we notice some qualities that aren't ideal. I think, personally, it is of the utmost importance that when the people who are closest in your life, who know you well, mention that they notice red flags with your partner, you take them into account. They may observe things much faster than you from an outsider's perspective, and it can sometimes save you so much time and heartbreak to take into consideration. Look, if your parents don't like the person you're dating, it doesn't mean you have to break up with them. But before you get defensive, try to see the other person's point of view. Unless it is something blatantly hateful or offensive that they're projecting, it can be helpful to listen to them. If multiple people, however, say that they dislike them or try to warn you about them not being a good person, the consensus is that you should most likely dip out of the relationship. That's why it's important to surround yourself with people whom you know that you trust their judgment and genuinely want what's best for you. A good support system around you is the number one way to stay out of unhealthy relationships because you will know what it feels like to be loved cherished and respected so you won't accept anything less our last red flag is it's too good to be true if things are going really well but you have that little inkling in the back of your mind saying this might not be what it seems please listen to your intuition sometimes our unconscious can realize things before our conscious minds do you might be recognizing warning signs from other relationships through your body sending you signals. Is the flattery just love bombing? Are things moving too fast? Your feelings and concerns are valid. Don't self-gaslight because things seem perfect on the outside. It can even be an opportunity to perceive anxieties within our own self if the other person isn't causing them. But those feelings are there for a reason. Listen to your mind. It is so powerful. So what happens when we ignore red flags? People will show you who they truly are very quickly, especially men. Bits and pieces of red flag behavior can come through even when they try not to. 
The first three months of a relationship are the ones where you're supposed to show the very best parts of yourselves and what you can offer. And if this is what they're showing you early on, then what kind of behavior can you expect later on? Knowing that you are worthy of having healthy relationships and having your needs met is key. I promise you that there are people, men specifically if you're into that, out there that will treat you the way that you are meant to be treated. Please don't make decisions out of fear that no one will ever love you again or you have to start over. Make decisions out of love for yourself instead. Hurtful people don't deserve you. And if we ignore red flags, these problems will grow. Things like this don't dissipate just because time heals everything. You have to work through that. But on the other side of the spectrum, what if there are no red flags? If you can't seem to notice any red flags in your relationship, there are a few things to consider. Number one, no one is perfect and people have flaws and that's okay. This isn't to scare you from letting people into your life. The essence is to gain knowledge in order to discern whom to let in in order to live the healthiest and happiest life possible. So not being afraid to recognize these things in people is key. Secondly, you hold the power to put your boundaries wherever they feel most comfortable with you. Once you have the wisdom to know what is healthy and what is not, it's up to you to take your case and apply these things as you wish. Maybe you are very girl-wise and have already found a partner that is so emotionally intelligent that they can recognize their own red flags and take the responsibility to work on them. So it doesn't seem like they have any. This doesn't make them perfect, but man, they do sound ideal. I hope this is the case for everyone because you all deserve the best. You deserve true love, respect, safety, and happiness. So before we get into the next segment, I do want to briefly mention extreme cases. Trigger warning, you can skip 30 seconds if you're uncomfortable. But I want to make this very clear. If anyone in your life, especially a romantic partner, is violent against you in a verbal or physical manner, that is abuse and it is not a red flag, it is a human rights violation. One in three women will face domestic abuse at some point in their life. So please, cut that person out of your life as soon as possible and never, ever let anyone threaten or gaslight you out of having basic human rights. Stay safe, girls. With that being said, it is time for Ask Me Anything. This is a segment at the end of the podcast where you can ask me anything, no matter how big or small the question might seem. Today's question comes from Andrea and she asks, how was Bluetooth invented? So Bluetooth is the name of the technology used in short-range wireless communication between devices. In 1999, a Swedish cell phone manufacturer named Ericsson, with the help of Intel, IBM, Toshiba, and Nokia, released the specifications for Bluetooth 1.0. For the record, the one that we use as of the recording of this podcast is version 5.3. In order to answer the question as to how it was invented, we need to understand how it works. 
It is a complex answer for those who may not know much about radio waves, electromagnetism, and transmissions, so I'm going to keep it in the simplest terms that I can. There are two types of Bluetooth right now called classic and low energy. Basic rate enhanced data rate, or classic, is the one commonly used in headphones, wireless speakers, in-car entertainment systems, and mobile printing. It can be used for audio streaming and data transfer. Its spectrum on the electromagnetic scale is 2.402 through 2.480 gigahertz ISM band with 79 channels and can send data up to 3 megabytes per second. What all of this means is that let's say your phone in this instance wants to connect to your wireless headphones and play audio. The antenna on your phone will start sending binary information in the form of these radio waves and the headphones, which are specifically designed to pick up and read these waves, will translate them into the audio you are hearing. The way it does this, to make it as efficient and seamless as possible, you need to avoid interference and interception. It is done by sending many, many pulses of waves across all of the 78 channels within the electromagnetic parameter. Each channel represents a different wavelength for the ones and zeros. An analogy of this to make it simpler would be if you were trying to send encoded messages to someone, you would have to change the channel on the television word for word so that eventually you would have a whole sentence. So the radio waves skip the channels as you would be skipping and flipping through the literal channels on the television. It's much more complicated than that, but it's a good place to understand how they were able to get there when creating the technology. Now, Bluetooth was invented on the back of many, many scientific discoveries that were already available at the time. It was less a complete breakthrough on how it works, but rather a very complex continuation of the radio. Like, they didn't invent the wheel, but they were building a rocket ship from everything that the invention of the wheel had taught us, if that makes any sense. Dr. and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Job Harston, one of the main engineers for the project, tells the story of being hired for the project, already knowing that radio was the way that they were going to make these data transfers happen. He started looking at existing technologies like digital enhanced cordless telecommunications, DECT, or wireless area local network but they didn't fit the standards for what was needed. Later that year, he attended a conference that spoke about these things called ISM radio bands, the one we discussed earlier with the 2.4 gigahertz, and those already existed, so that's when he knew that it was the most promising way to making this happen. ISM, by law in some countries, is only used for industrial, scientific, and medical needs only, as the name states, so he had to think of a way to find a loophole to this by making it frequency hop. He then used inspiration from other technologies like WLAN in order to make it fast, in order to make faster connections and robustness. Sven Mattinson later joined as an expert on radio and he began working on the hardware while Harston made the CMOS to make these ideas come to life. Eventually, after many trials and tribulations, they released it four years later, and it is still being perfected to this day with the Bluetooth Special Interest Group, or the people who help innovate it, now having over 30,000 people. And if you're very interested in it, it's open to join. And that's a long-winded, but actually very brief answer on how Bluetooth was invented. Don't even get me started on the name because we'll be here another 20 minutes. 
that was the episode. But if you're wondering what you should look for in a relationship, next week we will look at green flags in relationships. We talk about what to avoid a lot, but what about the positive aspects? In a world of bad qualities, what are the good ones to have? If you want to submit a question, you can send it to girlwisepod at gmail.com, G-I-R-L-W-I-S-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review this podcast as it helps me out a ton. Don't forget to come back next week, and I'll see you there. Bye!